Today's scripture reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Y dijo, No te acerques, quita tu casado de tus pies, porque el lugar en que tú estás, tierra santa es. Y dijo, Yo soy el Dios de tu padre. Dios de Abraham, Dios de Isaac, y Dios de Jacob. Entonces Moses cubrió su rostro, porque tuvo miedo de mirar a Dios. Dijo luego Jehová, Bien, he visto la aflicción de mi pueblo que está en Egipto, y he oído su clamor a causa de sus exaltadores, pues he conocido Su 我也看见埃及人怎样弃压他们。古指我要打发你去看，你去见法老，使你可以将我的百姓以色列人从埃及领出来。Good morning, how are you? Good to see live people here. At a city, and I'm sure uh, there are people out there in the online land watching us as well. I want to welcome you to church. Um, you know, we just, I think everyone just can't wait to uh, come to quote normal, whatever that is, but uh, uh, can't wait for you to come together and we worship God and in a life setting. But in the meanwhile, this is what it is. And so those of you who joined us, I uh, want to continue our um, series that we started last Sunday about heroes. You know, it's a nice little graphic on heroes. And so the whole point as we go through uh, characters in the Old Testament, going through the New Testament, uh, and just the major figures that God has used, uh, the whole point is that they, they are heroes in a way that God used them in extraordinary ways. However, uh, there is a flipping of the script because we know that ultimately every person that is in the Bible points to the ultimate hero, which is Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. Last Sunday, we talked about Joseph, and remember when we looked at Joseph, he took 25% of Genesis to show uh, what Joseph did, and the whole point was to uh, show Israelites who were in Egypt at that time that Joseph leaving Canaan and the whole family leaving Canaan and going to Egypt to be slaves and be enslaved for 400 years was, believe it or not, was God's design for Israel. Now, that's what that uh, uh, was about last Sunday, and we saw that Joseph was absolutely not the hero. In fact, he pointed to Jesus Christ. Well, today, we're going to look at Moses. 
towering figure in the Old Testament. And in fact, he's so, his, his story is so amazing that we're going to take three Sundays to do this. Um, whereas, you know, Joseph was 25% of Genesis, Moses actually was 100% of the Pentateuch, the first five books of Gen- uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is attributed to Moses, who wrote uh, the first five books. And so we're going to take three weeks to talk about that. And, um, and then today, what I want to show is how God used Moses, who is actually an ordinary person, just like any of us, and yet how God used him to become a leader of Israel to, again, remember Genesis? To, uh, that's the reason why they're in Egypt. And now Moses' job is to do exactly the opposite, is <laughs> to show that Moses is the rightful leader and to bring, him, bring Israel out of Egypt to the land of the promised land, which is Canaan. All right, so that's where we're going. And today I want to talk about, particularly as we think about Moses, that he is a leader. So I want to talk about what the essentials are to be a leader. And as I think about this message, I think about those who are listening online and those who are here and just in the church of Jesus Christ, as we talk about leadership, one of the first questions that many people would have is, who is this message for? <laughs> who, who is the leadership essentials for? I mean, is it just for those who are serving? I mean, people who are preaching, giving announcements, there's a lot of people back there doing media stuff and, 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 and being spiritual leaders. Is that what this message is for? Not necessarily. It's actually for anybody that believes in Jesus Christ, whether you're serving or not. If you're a Christian, this message is for you because God is calling all Christians and believers to be a leader in some capacity. And secondly, along with that, what is the leadership essentials for? All right, what is it for? And let me say this way, that God wants people, his believers. Now, he didn't give us salvation, folks, just to go to heaven. That is just given, by the way. We don't don't focus on heaven. We don't focus on salvation exclusively, though it is a beautiful uh, message of the gospel. But that is a gateway for something extraordinary because God causes us to himself for a purpose. So what is this leadership for? Not only for salvation, but he wants us to be part of what he's doing. And he's doing extraordinary, amazing things in the church, the church of Jesus Christ. He's also doing a lot of things in your personal lives. That is transformation. But he's also doing a lot of stuff in the world. Right now, as you see, he's, he's on the move, <laughs> brothers and sisters. Gosh, if you can see what God is saying, oh my goodness, he is constantly working. There are things that are happening right before our eyes, right in the heavenly realms. Things are happening all over the place, and he wants us to be part of what he's doing. Now, there's a pastor. His name is Jim Pumpman. I quote him a lot at S-City because uh, his ministry is about discipleship, and we at S-City Church have adopted that model. And he had a book called Disciple Shift. Uh, He's teaching how a church should shift their understanding in discipleship. And when he teaches this whole model, he shows uh, three levels of participation of how Christians typically are involved in. And uh, he used a football stadium as an analogy. And, you know, during this pandemic lockdown, I think that uh, analogy is so important because remember before sports came on, man, everyone was begging for some normalcy, right? For any kind of sporting event, football, it was all canceled. And 
those of you who love basketball and the NBA finals, woohoo! Anyway, you guys are enjoying it and baseball, football. And, and, and he used that analogy, and it's, it's so appropriate. Right now, if you're watching football, I think we're going to do that after service today. <laughs> what you'll find is all the stadiums are empty. It's really interesting. <laughs> and I like that because what Jim Pumman is saying is that when you become a Christian, you, then, then you're in the stadium. And, and most people, most believers, when they become a Christian, you know where they are in this football stadium analogy? In the nosebleed seats. And if you have connections, you're in this little private booth, you know, eating hors d'oeuvres and drinking water only. <laughs> you know, you're just having a good time in that booth, in that box, you know. And you don't want to play the game because you're just observing. You're enjoying what God is doing. But Jim Pumman says, no, that's not the reason why you're a Christian. He says, go down a little bit. There are another le- a group of Christians who are on the field. They're on the sidelines. They want to get in the game, and they're waiting, and they're preparing, there, and they're learning. But what, what Jim Pumman is saying is that God actually doesn't want you to be in the stands, nor does he want you to just be on the sidelines. He wants you to join the fray, <laughs> get to work. He wants you to be part of that kingdom work. And the goal for every believer uh, and, and I believe this is exactly what the Great Commission is about, is for believers to, to get busy in the kingdom of God. Because God is on the move. He's doing extraordinary things. And he causes us to be not only disciples, but to be a believer so that we can affect uh, uh, the change in what he's doing. So anyway, having said all that, my whole question as I'm trying to talk about the leadership essentials is, how does God prepare believers you and I, whether we're serving or not, whether we're in the nosebleed seats or in, on the field, how does he prepare us to be in the game, to do what God is doing? And, um, and what I want to do today is just break that into three elements, all right? Uh, he has to prepare us. He has to invite us to this game. And finally, when you get those two, you have to respond, all right? So there you go. Those are the three things that we want to see. Now, before we continue to talk about Moses here, um, I, want to, I want to show you that Moses, before he became Moses, if you know what I mean, he was just like you and I. He was an ordinary person. He was just a guy, you know, living uh, the way he did. Uh, uh, he didn't ask to be born into this world. He didn't ask to be the leader who bring Israel out of Egypt. He was just one of us. But the Bible story tells us is that he became Moses, <laughs> the one that we know. And how did that transformation happen? We're going to see it in these three sermons. But here's my point of Moses' story. His story is so important that it is a paradigm. In other words, it is a pattern of how God is going to uh, transform all of us. See, right now, we are just ordinary you, ordinary me. That's who we are, just like everyone else. But like Moses, when God comes in, when he transforms you in this way, then you become the real you that God has in mind. When that transformation happens from being just whatever you do to be the you that God has in mind and he's actually going to work through you, that's a whole different level. And that's how he plans to bring you into the game. And that's why we're going to look at Moses, because we're going to see today how Moses was just an ordinary person, just like you and I. But he had to make some serious decisions as he was being invited and as he had to respond to the activity of the kingdom work, all right? So let's do number one. 
preparation, all right? First of all, in order to be in the game, to be on the field eventually, God has to prepare you to be part of that work, all right? Um, how does God prepare you? When, before we jump into the uh, details of, of the Moses story, um, this is how God prepared Moses from being ordinary to extraordinary, if you will. Number one is this. God, when he prepares something, he does everything. And what that means is that you do nothing. You like that? God does all. He does all the preparation, all the circumstances, everything that he uh, is preparing you for, all behind the scenes. And you, whether you're conscious of it or not, you do nothing about it because you can't do anything about it. Again, for Moses to be Moses, you know what he had to do to prepare to be the Moses? He just had to be born. That's it. He didn't ask to be born. He just was born. But what's interesting is the circumstances in which he came into this world. And, and uh, I'm not going to go through all this, but in Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, it elaborates all these wonderful stories about how uh, he came to be. Let me just say, in summary, what happened was, again, Joseph's story was to show how Israelites came into uh, Egypt. And they were there for 400 years. And at that time, they were enslaved. What happened was uh, Israel wasn't just a tribe from Jacob and Joseph. It wasn't just a little group that had all the uh, uh, best of the land in Goshen. No, no, no. They actually multiplied and grew like rabbits, and they became a nation. And the thing was, in uh, Egypt, their social fabric, their economics, all of them were uh, uh, dependent upon the labor of this Israelite nation. And so they got worried. There was a new administration. New Pharaoh came into town, and he felt threatened. And you know what their policy was? Just like any good old fascist state, they, they said, um, we don't care about the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites. We're going to oppress them. And so they turned them into slaves. A whole nation. Think about that. How does one group decide that they get to oppress someone? How does one group decide that they're everybody and another group is nothing? What well, happens all the time, guys, as you know this, and that's exactly what happened to Israelites, and they were slaves. Not only were they slaves, to ensure that they would not rise up and do a coup d'etat against Pharaoh and leave Egypt, they... they promoted an unthinkable policy that it violates every human rights possible, and that's called a genocide. And you see in Exodus that, that uh, uh, their policy was to kill all male infants that was born to the Israelite family. The reason why I, also, I say all this, because that's the context in which Moses comes into this world. Think about this. You know, uh, especially as city, we have a lot of uh, young people, and, you know, they want to get married. And suppose, suppose you were born at that time, 2000 B.C., and then you go and you do your thing, and you see your guy, you see a girl, you want to get married, and you get married. And what do you do when, as young couples? You dream about having families one day. But do you, here's a question, do you risk it? Do you go ahead and have kids anyway? Because if you have a 50-50 chance, if you have a girl, she lives. If you have a boy, he dies. That's the rule. That's the law. 
So what do you do, young parents, mom and dad, right? What do you do? I wish I had time to show you, but, but what happened was uh, uh, Moses' parents, all right, uh, their names were Amram and Jochebed. They decide they're going to, by faith, do it. And uh, Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith, when Moses was born. This is all preparation, all right? Even before he was born, by faith, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And get this, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Isn't that something? Moses was not Moses unless, again, Moses had nothing to do with this story in a way of, of being the hero, but, but he couldn't participate unless his parents participated. Did you get that? Again, Moses at this point did nothing. He was just a mere recipient of God's grace. But the purpose for Moses, and we're going to skip this, how he grew up and all that, but the purpose for him was not to be a son of Pharaoh. That was a whole new story in itself. But God was preparing him, giving the best education, providing him with all the privilege that money could buy. He had all, everything at his disposal. He's tasted power. He's tasted knowledge. He also tasted uh, compassion because he knew he was a Hebrew Israelite at heart. Having all this uh, in him, God was preparing him with all his dramatic life for a greater task beyond what he could ever ever imagine. So let me make a sidebar here and, and make a sidebar point to say that I don't know where you are, where you are in this spiritual journey, whether you are a, a dedicated follower of Jesus or you're not even sure or maybe you're kind of testing the waters. Here's the thing. God is preparing you right now, all right? And at this point where you are, you had nothing to do with why you are here at this church. Maybe you just had to be born. Well, to be a Christian, you had no, nothing to do with it. God may had Christian faithful parents that you grew up in. Or maybe you uh, came, up with, came across friends who shared the gospel with you. Uh, or maybe Jesus was doing something behind the scenes. Maybe he gave you visions. And whatever the case, God did this, and he has called you. And this is how God prepares anyone for something extraordinary. So that's one. That's preparation, all right? Now, let me continue here, the invitation. Then what happens is, as God prepares his people, number two, he then invites you to work with him, all right? That's an invitation. So in that stadium analogy, you know, you became a Christian, so you're in the nosebleed seas, and you're very comfortable there. You don't want to leave because it's exciting to look from top down what's going on in the world, you know? But God says, uh, come, and he's inviting you to leave those comfortable seats, to come down onto the field and get into the game, all right? And this is where we look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 10. Now, again, we skipped his birth, his condition, how he was dramatically saved from the Nile River, grew up, and then, you know, he had an incident in Egypt, so he had to flee. So next time we see Moses, what, he, what we find here in verses 1 and 2 is that he is a shepherd. He's no longer wealthy. He's no longer in a place of privilege. He is um, moping around in the desert, boo-hoo, woe is me, 
No one loves me. Uh, he's in the a desert, fleeing for his life. We read that now Moses was keeping flock uh, of his father-in-law, Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which is the mountain of God, all right? And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Woo. And he looked, and behold, a, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So this is the invitation. And then uh, later on, we read the scriptures, uh, how God describes the plight of his people that's been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And uh, towards the end, he gives him a final call in verse 10, which we'll look into. But, but here's that burning bush. You know, this burning bush has, is not just a thing here in Exodus 3, but it's a phrase that we use in our culture. You know, people always ask me, how, how did I know? You know, because I could be anybody but a pastor. I could have done anything. How did you know to go into the ministry? I get that all the time. And when I hear those kind of questions, what I'm, what I'm hearing is, how did you know the burning bush? How did you, you know, uh, what did that sound like? What did that feel like? What, what is that burning bush? Because if, if I knew what God wants me to do in a burning bush way, then of course I'll do it. But how do you find it? That's what I hear all the time, you know. And let me tell you something. Um, if you're constantly looking for God and, and finding your purpose in life through the burning bush type of experiences, um, the, real, the real news is that you're not going to get it. <laughs> and you may just be wandering like, like Moses in the wilderness and in Midian for a very, very long time. Because I hope you listen and very well. You know, now you're in the stadium. You, you know, what am I going to, my life has changed. I'm going to heaven. My worldview has changed, and I'm living for Jesus. Now what, right? And if you're looking for a burning bush to tell you specifically where to go, you're not going to find it. You know why? Because God does not necessarily and usually and ordinarily come in those burning bush experiences. So stop looking for that. You know, when I was uh, uh, young, I was young once, and I had more hair, and I was single before I met my wife, right? And then, of course, when you're young, you're 20-something, what is the biggest question that you have? How do you know he or she is the right one? <laughs> anyway, I was there, right? <laughs> That's what everybody wants to know. So when I was um, like that one time, I asked a friend of mine who was also young and got married very young, and then he said, um, well, this is how it happened to me. And he made a little caveat. He said, by the way, when I share with you uh, how I knew to marry uh, my wife, don't do it this way. He said what he did was, as he was fasting and praying, he got this egg from the refrigerator. It wasn't boiled. And he decided to go up on top of his apartment building. And do you, can you guess what he would do? Yes. He says, I'm going to drop this egg. <laughs> and if an egg does not break then I know it's God's will. By the way, Hank, don't think about this. Don't do it like that. <laughs> but because, guess what? He dropped it and it didn't break. I don't know how that happened, okay? <laughs> You're like, ha, ah, there's one exceptional burning bush. Listen, burning bushes are not exceptional because if you uh, did some Bible study, what you'll find 
is that in the desert of Midian, and especially in arid, dry conditions of any desert, if there are dry bushes, bramble weeds everywhere, you know what happens as a shepherd? What you find is that there are spontaneous combustion normally everywhere. It's just a thing, guys. Burning bushes are not extraordinary. They're very regular, common things that happens in a desert. So, so don't waste your time and energy, and you don't need to test God because God says, don't test me, right? <laughs> you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Burning bushes are everywhere. Now, what this particular burning bush did that caught Moses' attention was that, yes, it was burning, but it was not consumed. That's the difference, okay? So, um, God speaks all the time. You understand, you, you are in the kingdom of heaven, you, you know where you're going, now what? Let me tell you something, God is speaking to you all the time. You must slow down, observe, and listen for his invitation. How do you do that? Stop looking for extraordinary things and, and stop doing, you know, things that test God. That's, that doesn't, that's not the way God speaks. But how do you get this? You know, here's an example. One of the values of S-City Church comes out of uh, years of trying to hear from God. You know, uh, if you've been to S-City Church long enough, you'll know that multi-ethnicity is not just a thing we put on our website. But it is a value, is one of the key pillars of this church. And here is why. Because uh, when I immigrated uh, from Korea to the United States in 1975, um, I landed not in New York or in LA or Chicago or one of those major cities. Uh, I landed in a, a, a town called Augusta, Georgia. Does anyone know where that place is? Only one person, but usually it's like, where is, where is that place, right? And, 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 and I landed there, you know, I was the only one who looked like me. Uh, I had to learn a different language real quick. I, I, knew, I felt what being a minority is, what being marginalized is. And so I grew up in that environment, and, uh, and you know, I didn't like it, but that was my lot. And I'll go to college, same thing. I go to seminary, I'm one of the one or two or three people who were of color. And, you know, so all my life, I've been, I've been uh, uh, going, going that way. And then finally, I, get, I become a pastor, and, and I finally go to a monocultural church, my peoples. I finally go to my people. And I realize, we're not connecting here. <laughs> I don't speak Korean. I eat kimchi, so that's, I think that's good enough to be Korean, but I, I mean, that's enough, I thought, but no, there's culture there, there's language, and I wasn't getting them, they weren't getting me, and even with my own people, I didn't know I wasn't feeling loved, you know what I mean? So, so it's like, man, where do I fit? So this multicultural thing, it was not something I wanted to do, but, but I, I felt it in my gut, and then one day, I meet Pastor Benu, and we lock eyes <laughs> <laughs> then, then when, I get, when I'm meeting Pastor Benu, I find that he also has similar experiences. He's a uh, South Asian, and, and through our experiences and collective experiences, him, him growing up in Long Island, having similar experiences, me growing up in the deep south, deep south, and, and we come together, and we say, that's exactly right. 
this is, must happen. And, and so long story short, here we are, because uh, we know what it feels to be marginalized. We know what it means to be a minority. You know what it is, guys? Those are burning bushes. Those of you who are in the, quote, minority crowd, you, that happens all the time. That's nothing new. That's not the burning bush. I mean, that's not the burning bush. Those are things that happens all the time. But it was through those experiences that God speaks. Do you, do you see? God speaks through that. That makes you a little different and brings a little different calling than all the other churches or whatever. That's why we're a little different and have a different specific aim than a lot of the new amazing churches that are being planted everywhere. But because, because this is our invitation to get into God's work, and that is the, uh, uh, the seed formation of S-City Church. So for Moses, with his context, in Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 10. God says, come. After all this explanation, God says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That was the invitation. That's a hard, that, that's tough, right? So, what, so, so far we've seen the preparation. God does 100%, you do zero. Then the invitation is, as you live in this world as a Christian, you hear God, he gives you a specific call. Then what happens is, he then awaits before anything happens, you're still ordinary, just like Moses. We are all ordinary. But he waits for you to respond to the work that he has assigned for you. That's the response, third point. This is where taking steps of faith to leave the comforts of where you are, which is pretty much the pews of the church, but in our church we don't have pews, we have the stands. We have little cold uh, metal chairs, okay? Say, <laughs> so I don't want to sit here anymore. They're good. So you leave those seats. You kind of come down on the field, tap, you know, put your toe into the field a little bit, see how that, that feels. And the question is, when that invitation is given to you, it's a daunting invitation, by the way. Do you take it? How would you respond to his invitation. I remember um, wanting to play uh, baseball when I was a kid. You know, my, my dad was always working, so, you know, I never did sports. But, you know, doing something is fascinating. So a group of kids, uh, uh, they love baseball, so, so I went and went with them, and there was a real game going on. Now, I knew for baseball, you get a, you get a stick. I didn't even know how to hold it correctly. And then you just hit it. So, so somehow my turn came up, and they said, all right, uh, wear this helmet, put it on, and take a bat. And then I said, what do I do? He said, just hit the ball. So, all right. So I go to the batter's box. You know, I, I see everybody just take a couple of swings. For I don't know why they do that. <laughs> so, so I'm like this. And, he, and then this kid throws his ball, and I just swing, and uh, I miss it. Next time I close my eyes, <laughs> so three strikes, boom, and I was out. After that day, I never wanted to play baseball again, never wanted to even play softball. That's why you don't see me out there when Benu says, let's play football. <laughs> I'm never out there. 
Not even t-ball. I wouldn't even want to play t-ball. I'll, I'll probably miss it. It's the most embarrassing thing. Although I like watching baseball because <laughs> I don't want to be on the field. You know what I mean? But see, I shared a silly example because this is how many people experience God's invitation to his work, to the ministry, to the amazing gazillion things that he's doing in the church and around the world and in your community. You know, people who are believers are intrigued by what God is doing. They hear amazing testimonies of what God has done to change people's lives, fascinating stuff. But, but, but to, to, and some, may, some may even just uh, have experienced it a little bit of ministry. Maybe they've been burned out. Or maybe you just think about, oh, my gosh, what does it take to do, do these kinds of things? Because if you're called to do ministry, you know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're thinking. I'm going to be poor. Um, I have to give up my job. Uh, what, what? Um, you know, they're going to sacrifice all my time. And gosh, I hate people, but I got to deal with people. You know, it's like that's how many people, even before getting onto the field, think about what God wants them to do. And they're like, no, thank you. I'm okay up on the stand. And so therefore, when God calls you to ministry or to say, let's get to work, most people say, no, thank you. Their response is, like Moses, that we're going to see a bunch of excuses. I'm not going to go through it in detail, but in chapters 3 and 4, uh, here are some of the excuses. Moses says, God, okay, verse 10, come, lead my people out of Egypt for 400 years. They've been there, right? And take them out. He says, number one, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm nobody. In fact, he's right, actually. He is nobody. If God's calling you to ministry, you're like, you know, I don't even pray. Why, why, why would I do this, you know? I'm nobody. I'm not good enough. So that's number one. Another excuse, Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, they may say, the God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? What should I say? In other words, Moses is saying, here's the second excuse. God says, come and join me. We say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know my Bible. I don't have apologetics. What am I going to say, you know, when there's an atheist to challenge my faith? I got to learn. I don't have all the answers. I don't know enough. So that's another excuse for not getting into the game. Another excuse, number three. Moses said, but, but, but suppose they would not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. You say, um, I can't do this ministry because people are not going to believe me. They, you know what I've done? You know what my track record is? You know, uh, I have all this um, reputation. They're not going to believe me. Are you kidding me? I'm going to make, a, you know, a mockery out of you, God. So that's excuse number three, just like Moses did. Excuse number four. And then Moses said to God again, Oh, Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm a terrible public speaker. You know what? That's a good excuse. I, I get that. <laughs> when I was, before I got called to ministry, I remember I was in, my, in a class of about two, three people, and it was my turn to speak, and I hyperventilated. I couldn't talk. <laughs> yes, I get it. Of course, you know, how am I going to talk? I'm glad no one's here because I get to talk to, talk to a camera or whatever. But it's like, I, 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 public speaking is the most fearful thing. That's another excuse. 
But here's the uh, last excuse that, that is almost universal. Moses said to, to, to God, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, send someone else. You know why? In essence, he's saying what a lot of people understand are saying, I'm not qualified. Are you kidding me? I don't know my Bible. I don't know this. You know, I'm not spiritual. I mean, you go down the list. You ask anybody to do something, I'm not qualified. Actually, that's kind of false humility, but anyway. You know what I mean? <sighs> when you spend time navel-gazing, in other words, just look at yourself, <laughs> the answer is always going to be no, 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 excuses, no, no. See, that, that's where we find Moses right now. God prepared him in extraordinary ways. God invited now to a call, in an extraordinary call. But you know what Moses says at this point? No, thank you. Uh, before we finish, let me say this. At this point in juncture, if we start with Moses' story, um, God is not going to show up in his life. After chapter 3, if he decides no, we don't have the rest of the Pentateuch. Unless you act in faith, if you hear his calling, or, or God calls you to do anything, Unless you do something about it, unless there's action, listen very carefully, God is not going to show up. You, you wonder why a lot of people in church are just whining and complaining and just saying prayer requests over and over because God's not showing up in their lives. You know why? Because they're not doing anything. Unless you unless you're take it by faith and start to take steps in what he calls you to do, then he'll start showing up in tremendous ways. That's why we got to flip the script here. And at this point, it's kind of easy because uh, right now, Moses doesn't have faith. His response at this point is no. He's a naysayer. He's not going to move. Moses is not our example. If he's our example, then we just stop right here. That's why we have to look at another hero, all right? And if you look at Jesus... Jesus was also prepared. Even before uh, he came to this world, angel had to go to Mary and said, you're going to bear a son. So God prepared Jesus to come into this world. In fact, Jesus had nothing to do with his appearing. God the Father said, I'll do this to you. And he came. And Jesus also invited, uh, God the Father invited Jesus uh, to do his work. And that's why Jesus always says, I've come in my Father's name. I left heaven to come to earth, and he accepted that invitation. And what was Jesus' response to this calling? Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. So church, God is calling all of you in extraordinary ways. How are you going to respond? And, and don't look at Moses here. Let's look at Jesus, who even at the cross that was set before him, he didn't decline. He willingly accepted it. And that's the kind of courage and faith we need if God's going to use us. And this is the time right now where it's an extraordinary time. And God has to do extraordinary things. And he's going to do it through you. So I want to pray, and then we're going to have our closing song. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit will come not only in this 
sanctuary, but through the cameras, through online, that you would hit your people in the heart and, and move your people into action, moving from the grandstand to the sidelines and showing them step by step how to engage in the work that you have specifically called them to do. So I pray that you would awaken the church right now so that it isn't the 10% that's doing the 90% of the work, but it is really the church, the body of Christ, 100% doing your work in your kingdom in this location right now. Would you do that, God? Would you pour your spirit upon us so that we could be your people doing your work? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.